Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight for us to be with you once again on this Friday, July 24th of 2020. We are always delighted and we always consider it an honor to have each and every one of you listeners come and join us as we study the Word of God. And we want to quickly get into the Word of God today. It's a pleasure to be here with the panel, with Brother Marty, with Brother Fernando, to be able to study the Word of God together on this Friday. So, Brother Marty, we'll leave it to you to share what God has placed on your heart. It's been pretty cool. We've been hanging out on John 20 for the last eight podcasts. This is going to be now our eight podcast. And who knew that there would be so much to glean, for, uh, glean from uh, this glorious day when Jesus rose. So, Brother Marty, we leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. You're quite right. We've been on a, quite a journey, you know, and, and, and I suppose, um, of course, we could probably stay here for forever because we're talking about Resurrection Day. And Absolutely. all Scripture, you know, all, all, all Scripture connects to that. I mean, that's what everything was headed to. That's what it's all about. It's our hope. It's our anchor. It's our faith. It's, it's why we why we have hope in this life. Like Paul said, if there is no resurrection, then we're the most miserable of creatures <laughs> because we've been believing a lie. You know, we're, we're not we're not following, uh, like Peter said, cunningly devised fables. You know, they were eyewitnesses, he said, of, of his majesty. John said, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. The, the resurrection is our hope. Our, our our sin was paid for, the, the wrath that should have been upon us. He took upon himself on the cross. But we will never have known that the Lord accepted that and, and what his son did for us were it not for the resurrection. And all that was involved as we've been as as we've been exploring and, and, and so we come now as we've gone through the through a, a lengthy look at the one day that began early in the morning, even before the sun was up. Uh, with the women, um, and it culminates now as as we find ourselves uh, coming to the end of, of of the day. The night is upon us, and 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 that's where I'd like Brother Jeremy to to begin to to, to read today in in John chapter twenty. Brother Jeremy, can you read verse nineteen through twenty one, and we'll begin our study in Jesus' name. Amen. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hand and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for bringing us thus far, and, and we ask your blessing as we discuss this tremendous revelation of Christ to his disciples. You know, we've been on quite a journey in, in this series, really. I mean, uh, we've been allowed to explore and, and, and consider the great day, right? The resurrection day. You know, as, as we were talking about, you know, the day, it, it is a day that began very early in the morning. And which brings us now, as we'll explore today, to the conclusion of what, what I call the greatest day ever. I suppose there'll be no other day that to rival it forever. Maybe the exception of the Lord returning. Uh, they're equal days, right? Uh, he will be returning soon. But we're looking at this great resurrection day. It'll be the it'll be the reason, the, the beginning of all things. And in the ages to come, world without end, the forever, the everlasting to everlasting. It'll be because of this day we've been exploring that those who have right to the new heaven and the new earth will forever praise him. Hallelujah. Will forever thank him for what he did for us throughout all the ages. 
But now, you know, it's evening time, and, and, and the day has seen many, many signs. You know, there were angels at the tomb. There was that great earthquake, like we talked about, when the angel descended and, from heaven and rolled away the stone. Uh, there, there was the women who came uh, and, 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 and to witness uh, and to hear uh, what the angel told them, that he's risen. There was Mary Magdalene who ran to tell Peter and John that the Lord's body was gone. And then the apostles themselves, Peter and John, running early in the morning light, right, finding the tomb empty. And then we're told, like we looked at before, that Peter and John both went into the tomb. Peter saw the clothes that had been uh, left and the napkin folded in one part of the tomb, and, and he left, uh, bewildered. And we know thoughts were flooding his mind. But we were also told that John went in, and that when he saw it, he left the tomb and went back to his house, believing that the Lord had risen, yet still wondering, what does this really all mean? And then as we also explored how Mary uh, passed them both uh, as she went back to the garden tomb and they were leaving. We're not even told that they even said anything to each other. She might have just looked at them and, and they just walked by her, lost in their own thoughts by what they had seen. Uh, but she went to the garden tomb. She returned there. And, that, and, that, and that's what we looked at where we know that the Lord, upon hearing his voice, uh, she knew who he was. He revealed himself to her. And then he did something extraordinary. In many ways, in many respects, he commissioned her to be the very first human being on the planet <laughs> to announce that he's risen. And then she, he commissioned her to go tell my disciples that I've, I've risen I, I, and I'm about to ascend to the Father. And then we discussed at length how the Lord ascended into heaven and what he did, how he led captivity captive in a great procession into heaven, according to the scripture, where then he entered into the very holy of holies, the very throne room of God. <laughs> and there he presented himself to the Father on our behalf, on behalf of all that he accomplished really that day in the shedding of his blood, but the saving of humanity for all who would believe. And then we discussed how his atonement for us being accepted by the Father, he then returned to the earth. And uh, in Luke 24, we discussed how it was late in the afternoon. It was the cool of the day and how he came uh, on that on that late afternoon and, and walked with the two, uh, which we put forth was more likely, uh, more than likely Cleophas and his wife, Mary. Her name was Mary as well. Um, the two disciples, they're called. And they went to the road on the road to Emmaus. And, that, and it was there that he joined alongside of them and he began to beginning at Moses and all and the prophets, all the prophets and all the scriptures, it says in Luke 24, that he revealed to them all the things that the scriptures had spoken concerning him, how that he had to suffer and die, and, and then he would rise again and be received into his glory. And then <clears throat> they compelled the Lord, right, to come, uh, once they got to Emmaus, to come into their house with them, which he did briefly. And and as he sat at table in the house, uh, the Bible tells us that he took the bread and he broke the bread and gave them the bread. And then suddenly their eyes were open and they saw and they knew who he was and he vanished away. Well, <clears throat> with what little light was left, right, as we looked at it, they then turned around, they left their house and they went back to Jerusalem, Cleophas and his wife, uh, to go tell the disciples that they had seen the Lord. And so that kind of is a quick overview of everything that we've looked at. And we encourage you, if you're just joining us, to go back and listen to each and every one of those podcasts, because I think you'll be amazed at what, what we see as the Holy Spirit reveals to us uh, all that occurred on that day. But now we come to the end of the day. And uh, and and now they're, they're, in, they're in the house. They've all reassembled. And Brother Jeremy, would you read verse 19 to us again? Let's begin with verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Praise God. So what do we see? It's, 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 we're now at the end of the evening, and the only people that had seen him to this part, point was 
was the, the two on the road to Emmaus and, and, uh, and Mary. Right? He appeared to Mary. And then he appears to the two after he returns from heaven. And we're also told in another place, though we won't explore it today, that, that sometime between that road to Emmaus and, and his appearing in, in the room here in verse 19, he also had a private meeting uh, with, with the Apostle Peter. And, and someday I hope to explore that at length, but it's a powerful thing to consider. But here we are. So we're in this room, and, and even though they had heard he is risen, um, they, were, they were greatly afraid. Uh, and remember, John emphasizes something, something there in verse 19 that, that, that's very interesting. He says that, that the doors were shut. And, and he says the doors were shut because uh, where the disciples were because of the fear they had for the for the Jews. You know, and what's interesting, right. I was looking at I was looking at this, this morning, and uh, you know the construction of how their houses were back then. And so when he says the doors were shut, the, most most of the houses were 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 like the uh, like a courtyard. There'd be like an outer wall around the house, and there'd be gates there. And then you go through those gates, and then there's another set of doors that lead into the house. So, I mean, they literally sealed the outside and the and the inside. And he's emphasizing that that uh, to let us know uh, the extraordinary thing that was about to happen um, that that the Lord isn't limited <laughs> by the uh, by the doors that we put up. Ah, uh, we could preach on that one, right? So, anyway. Um, but so, so the outer and the inner doors were shut and they're all assembled there and they're in great fear. And I was reading behind uh, uh, this morning, uh, Brother uh, Alfred uh, Edersheim uh, in his commentary. Uh, it's called the, uh, the Life and the Times of Jesus, the Messiah. There's some some really, really neat things that that he uh, that he speaks of in, in there. But when I was reviewing this, uh, this. This this last uh, moments of the day that that were being described here of Resurrection Day, uh, I read something that he wrote that was really neat because in in regards to why the disciples were afraid, he he reminds us, you know, that what must have been you know a great horrible fear that they were having, and and in in many ways we need to look at that and 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 understand the conditions they were in just before Jesus appeared to them. So, Brother Jeremy, let's take a look at Matthew chapter uh, 28, uh, yes. verse 1 through 4. Here we go. It says, <clears throat> In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, that keep, the keepers did shake and became as dead men." Here we have a little insight given by Matthew as, as what, what was also occurring on that resurrection morning. The angel comes to roll away the stone. And apparently here in verse 4, what we know is that the keepers or the guards of the tomb that had been dispatched at the request of the Sanhedrin of the elders uh, when they laid Jesus in the tomb, they requested that he post guards. And, and you can read in the other gospel accounts where, you know, Pilate was like, isn't his death enough for you people? <laughs> and they said, well, he said he'd rise on the third day, you know, and we don't want no, no shenanigans. So, and, he, and so Pilate agreed. And, and they set a seal on the tomb, a Roman seal, that anyone who would break the seal was under the penalty of death. And they dispatched some, say, even as many as, as 100 guards to the tomb. And, and that they, 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 were, they were in sections apportioned to the tomb so you know you might have had you know like 40 guards and then you go a little bit and there'd be another 30 guards go a little bit there'd be another 20 until finally you get right up to the tomb there was just a small handful of them but what we're told here is that when the angel ascended there was a huge earthquake sometime in the middle of the night before the sun is coming up this happens and and what's interesting is it describes him as his face being like lightning 
imagine, you know, it must have lit up the surrounding area around the tomb. And and this and this it says in verse four, caused the guards or the keepers of the tomb. This is fascinating to me because it caused them to shake. <laughs> you know, the, the the holy angel of the Lord. And and all around the tomb, I know because it says his face was like lightning uh, in its brightness. Uh, there was a glow around the tomb, around the immediate area. The effect of that light and the sight and the earthquake caused them to shake. And it literally <clears throat> caused them to become as dead men. They were completely knocked off their feet. And in, in many ways, you know, it's more than just passing out. It was it, it was an act uh, that that brought of absolute terror that knocked them to the ground, and so <clears throat> when they finally get up, uh, we know what they did. Uh, can you read in uh, verse eleven through fourteen of chapter twenty-eight, there, brother, brother Jeremy? Yes. And when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city, and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole away, stole him away while we slept. And it came, and, it, and if and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. And so they took the money and they did as they were taught. And this is the saying that is commonly reported amongst the Jews today. So what do we know, right? We we know the early in the morning thing, you know, they fall it as they're dead. Somewhere in there, we know that the women came and 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 it's quite possible they're literally stepping over Roman soldiers to get to the tomb, you know, because these guys are passed out. I mean, it's it's incredible what what happened. And and somewhere in there, we know that, of course, they came too. And, and what they did is, is they went into the city in verse 11, and they showed the chief priests all the things that were done. They, they told him. They told these guys. There was an earthquake. Some sort of being whose face was like lightning came and rolled away the stone. And we just passed out, man. I mean, this is insane. They told them. It's incredible. Because... Right. Uh, without going too far off, off the base here, right? They literally preached the gospel to them. They told them they, 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 they're without witness. When we think of the fact that 40 years from this point on, the temple's going to be destroyed, burnt to the ground, and the Jewish people scattered to the four corners of the earth as a result of, of, of judgment that came upon them for the rejection of their Messiah, it is not without merit. Because even after Jesus paid the price on the cross and these Roman soldiers come and give them this kind of a testimony, what did they do? In verse 12, it says they assembled with the elders and they right. take counsel, right? This is how hard they were. And, and, and they end up having a meeting. Would you read that in verse 12 again, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Uh, and when they were at, assembled with the elders, and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers. And they told him, say, tell the people. Now they're creating a lie, right? Tell them that his disciples came at nighttime and stole him while we were asleep. Incredible. Mm. You know, this is what they were. So we, from this, when John, back in, we can go back to John chapter 20 now. What we can see is that, remember, when it talks about the elders, literally the entire Sanhedrin, the, the religious ruling class, assembled. This shook the city. The Sanhedrin convened. And, and really, if you think about it, brother, because of the way that they're reacting here, the situation in their mind was completely out of control now, right? I mean, this is completely out of control. They, they have <laughs> I mean, they are just absolutely, you know, just mind blown you know they, they 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 killed the lord and so yes. you can imagine for three days i'm I'm sure you know some of the elite were, were like nah that couldn't possibly happen he's gonna raise from the dead remember what he said oh yeah uh, but the truth of the matter is 
maybe by the third day they they were they were maybe starting to get over it and think, nah, you know, this is over. Thank God it's over. We we're back to business as usual. But then early in the morning, here come these Roman soldiers to tell them, Hey, <laughs> this is what has happened. And now they call for all the elders to come and, and, and their minds must've just been freaking out. Right. They paid them to lie and, and they made and, and up the, the lies. Go ahead, brother. And the excuse is so bogus. They they told the soldiers, who were these soldiers? These were not wimps. This, these were hardened men. Whatever they saw must have shook them so much that they were like dead men. But then to make up the excuse that to tell, to that you know, to say that the disciples somehow came at night without making noise and pulled this big old <laughs> stone yes. away. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's how ludicrous. You know, and and how much yeah. they were so nervous, they didn't know what to say. That they had to make a, a story that is not even believable. Right, and because also we know from Roman law that if, if a soldier ever fell asleep on his watch, he, he would be he would be um, yeah he'd be killed. You know, so this is and, and and here they say if if Pilate hears about it, they even said we'll we'll go to bat for you. We got your back. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll protect you. And, and so by the time we get to the end of the night, this is the beginning of the morning. We've had all these kinds of things happening. And so we're in John 20 now, and it says that they had shut the doors for fear of the Jews. And by the way, I apologize if you're hearing all this dog barking back here. Uh, I'm, I'm not at a kennel. I'm actually uh, <laughs> babysitting a bunch of dogs today. <laughs> so, right, you're not doing a good me. job of it, Brother Marty. I tell you not. Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, so 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 think of the, into into this situation. Now we understand when John says they're they're they've reassembled at the end of the day, and and they're they're in great fear of the Jews. He's talking about the Sanhedrin, the elders, the very ones who crucified the Lord. I can't imagine the you know the the uh, you know the mixture of emotions that was occurring is incredible uh you know you you've had people saying they've seen the lord they've assembled peter's just sitting there simon as they describe him has already told him he appeared to me the two from emmaus are back they're saying we've seen him mary's sitting there going i've been telling you all day <laughs> you know what he told me. i mean and and the doors are shut uh and and they are afraid they're afraid because they know these men took this glorious king of kings and lord of lords and crucified him. What are they going to do to lesser mortals like themselves? And even though they had that expectation of an assurance that they had seen the Lord, Mary knew, the two on the road knew, Simon knew, but it, but yet they're you know they didn't understand the fullness of the impl- implications. Did did he did they just see a a ghost? Were they you know, the doubts that might, are you sure? Tell me the story again, all this stuff. You know, people looking through the windows, you know, or is anyone coming with torches like they did the night on the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When they sent the temple guard to arrest the Lord. I mean, are they coming for for us? Nicodemus knows where John lives. We talked about that in a few podcasts ago when he came in John chapter 3 and Jesus uh, met with him privately at night. They were at John's house. This is the same house. So, man, there's an intensity there. And then it says in the middle of that and and the heightened of the the day's over. What a day. And then it says, and Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you. Praise God. Yes. Yes. So it's in this incredible chaos that he comes and, 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 and he appears to them. And John uses the phrase here. And then for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst. That word stood is really powerful because it has many meanings. But John's using this language to to, to try and describe to us the very presence of the Lord when he appeared. Because uh, the word stood, when you look it up, it, it has the meaning uh, or or the feeling of, and the actual word means to stand as if you are the foundation of a building. That's how he described the Lord. When he stood in their midst, he came solid 
and 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 in the Greek word there, it's it has carries with it one of the meanings of being a foundation of a building. And truly, he is right. He's the cornerstone of the building. John presents him that way. He comes in great authority. Now, remember, we've already looked at this. He had just ascended into heaven. He's been in the presence of the Father, not just as his son who's eternal, but his son who is also a man, right? 100% man, 100% God. He's on his, he has come back. And when John says he stands in the midst of this great fear, this great wonder, you know, they're all assembled there. All the, the women, the disciples, other people, you know, Cleophas and his wife, you know, somewhere in the interim there, Thomas has left. He's probably tired about hearing about all these stories. Or maybe he was thinking, hey, I ain't going to sit around here and wait till they come and get us, right? <laughs> He's out of here. I mean, who knows why he left, but he left. And now into this comes Jesus, and John describes him as standing in their midst literally almost like like a foundational stone for a building, which he, indeed he is. But it also means to be one who is uh, who upholds or sustains the authority or the force of anything. That's what it means. So he's trying to use this descriptive word and, and the word that, that's translated in the English, he stood in their midst, the word stood literally carries with it this heavy-duty weight of great authority and great strength. That's how he appeared to them. And you can imagine, right, because he's, he's there in his fullness. He has come as the Lord of glory. He is now the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he stands in their midst as this great authority exercise his right his force he's the chief cornerstone of the building and that's when he says peace be unto you mm. oh my goodness again oh, if we had a ten thousand dictionaries could we dig into what that must have felt like remember perfect love what casts out fear instantly when he stood in their midst that fear dissipated. It couldn't stand there. Doesn't it say in Hebrews, through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death and delivered us who through all our life were subject to bondage through what? Through fear of death. Right. And John said, what? Perfect love, what? Casts out fear. When he came in that room, I guarantee you, there wasn't a, a fearful emotion anywhere. He drove it away by the mere presence of of his self. And what he says in verse 19 is incredibly powerful. He then says to them, peace be unto you. And if we don't dig into this word, we don't realize why what he said was so profound. Yes, it means to bring something separated and bring it back together as one, which we discussed yesterday. But it's, it's, its deeper meaning is this. He was what he was saying to them, and and what it literally means is is to be in a state of national tranquility. That's what he was saying. That 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 there was an exemption from the rage and the havoc of war. And you can look it up and see that I'm telling you the truth. That's exactly what he said to them. He he literally said that you have now entered a state of national tranquility and and you are are now exempt from the rage and the havoc of war all of that is what they heard when he said peace it's an it's an incredible salute because what he was literally saying to them is the war is over hallelujah <laughs> hallelujah the war is over and and uh and, and it's amazing to me because uh were you gonna say something anybody no, go ahead brother okay yeah what he was saying to them because we we're trying you we've done a halting job here of trying to describe everything that happened in the day right but 
and what they were feeling. It's almost as it, it reaches this crescendo when John says the doors were shut for fear of the Jews. I mean, it's like that's what he says just before he says Jesus came and stood because he's trying to get us to understand this is a crazy situation. We know from other scripture, which we'll probably look at, Lord willing, on Monday, unless he takes us in another direction. We still have to address Thomas and the issue there, you know, the 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 second appearance to the apostles as a whole. But but before we get into that, we know it must have been a crazy situation because he's not there. He started there. But somewhere along the line, in a matter of a few moments, he leaves at the crucial moment. He leaves the house. The intensity, the fear, that's why John emphasizes that the doors were shut because of the fear of the Jews. Even though they carried with them the hope, the excitement, the bewilderment, all the uh, you know massive emotions we can talk about here, the, the fear of, of life and death was still upon them. And everything they had witnessed, how can you blame them? Even though they knew, but did we really know? I mean, you know. This is why he goes on to do what he does next when he appears in their midst to put an end to this madness. He reigns in the chaotic emotion of, of the fear of their own life. And he says, it's over. You no longer have to worry. The war is over. The raging of the war. Uh, a, a state of national tranquility, of, of really universal tranquility has come now i have paid the price and that's that's why what he did next was was to testify that indeed it was him and the war was over uh, what does he do next brother jeremy in verse 20 and when he had so said he showed unto them his hands and his side then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. See what he did after declaring that, that the war is over. Peace. There's no more conflict here, buddy. <laughs> That's what he's telling them. He then proves it to them. He wants them to know, I'm not a ghost. Remember when he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus at their house, he vanishes. They could have easily thought, huh. You know, um, what about Simon? You know, did, or there's no account that Simon saw his hands and his feet. Maybe he is struggling, yet he knows that what he saw. He knows that he had this conversation with him. But, but how can you blame them? You question your very sanity. Has it ever been heard that anyone rose from the dead? You know, I mean, this is as great as he was. I mean, all of this. But, but. But he has said peace to them. And the, that's why the very next thing he does is incredibly, incredibly profound. Because he wants them to know that it was indeed him. And, and we also have to understand that, that there's some sort of difference here. Because he has just come back from the throne of God. He's different, but the same. But he's different. He's the Lord of glory now. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the beginning of the creation of God. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He has the keys of, of hell and of death now. He's different. He's ascended. And now he's standing in their midst, but he has to prove it to them as an anchor for their soul. But in so doing, he has just told them the war is over. There's no more havoc. I've won the victory. And to testify to that, he reveals the price of it all. He shows them the wounds in his hand, in his side. Yeah. Yeah. But let's look at this quickly, if we can. Brother Jeremy, would you turn over to Psalm 22? Because this is wrapped up in what he's doing here. He's revealing the price that was paid that the war would be over. And we need to look at that because it's incredible what he's doing. Yes. He's testifying to something incredible. In, in Psalm 22, are you there, Brother Jeremy? Yes. 
Psalm 22 is written by King David. It is one of the most extraordinary uh, passages of Scripture in the whole of the Bible. King David was transferred by the spirit of prophecy 800 years into the future, where he witnessed the very execution and crucifixion of the Lord of glory. And he gives incredible insight and detail as to what actually happened. But Jeremy, can you read us verse 11 through 16? Yes. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around, have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening, ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bows. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Incredible. David is, is literally uh, seeing through the eyes of our Savior. He concludes the description uh, by saying, they pierce my hands and my feet. When Jesus is showing the disciples his hands that were pierced, his side it had the spear go through it. It's incredible when you think about it because David presents it from the part of, of the actual crucifixion and what was happening to him. And when Jesus appears in that room, he tells him to hold him and look. He says, peace be unto you. The war is over. But this is a, 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 a Lord who, <laughs> I mean... Uh, for lack of a better term, he's been through a fight and he's emerged victorious, but he wants them to know this is the price. This is the price that won redemption. And I just want to look at something really incredible here because for, for very for very few moments, uh, we'll focus in on, on, on one of the scriptures here in, in verse 11. What we're what we're what we're seeing is that while he was being crucified, we're getting an insight uh, into his 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 turmoil, what he was experiencing. In verse eleven, he's he's praying to the Father. This is Jesus from the cross that we're seeing here, and what he's thinking, what he's what he's praying. He says, "Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one here to help." He was isolated. He was more alone than any human has ever been alone. He said, there's no one to help. No one. And then he goes on to describe in verse 12 something incredible. He says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me all around. This is what he begins to describe. When he gets to the point where he, he declares in verse 11, there's nobody here to help me as he's hanging on the cross. He then begins, there's something that begins to happen. The, the, the natural gives way to the real. Temporary becomes an eternal struggle as, as what begins to happen here. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's dramatic on its own. But we need to understand the kind of Lord that we owe everything to and what he endured for us. Because this is the end of the day we're talking about. And this is how he shows up. He shows up as, as, as a foundation stone for the building. He shows up as one that possesses all authority. He shows up as the Lord of glory and presents his hands to his his, his, his disciples telling them the war is over. This is the battle he went through to get to that point. David describes it 
when he says, many bulls have compassed me about. Now you take your time, uh, you that are listening, and you do your own word studies, and you'll see what he's saying here is extraordinary. The word many in the Hebrew, he begins to describe what they are. The word many means to be numerous in rank, rank. To be increased and multiplied by myriads, tens of thousands. So that word many is describing something that began to happen, that numerous myriads of creatures or beings that, that, that were chief, like principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, they began to close in on Mount Calvary. They began to surround him. He describes them as bulls. He's using descriptive terms to what they were inflicting on him. They gathered on the cross. Remember, we're told that the Pharisees were walking by, the chief rulers as well. And they were possessed, man. They're killing the Son of God. You don't do that without demonic uh, power flowing through you. And they began to mock him. And, and cry out to him. But what Jesus was seeing were the entities that were energizing this entire uh, tragic event. Sin did. And he describes it as many and numerous, and he uses the word bulls. The word bull uh, literally uh, means, it, it's descriptive of what they were inflicting upon him and how it was manifested. The word bull means to be wild in strength like the breaking forth of a wild, unabashed, un, uh, unmuzzled, unleashed, unchained strength that came in the myriad forms of thousands of chief principalities and powers with the intent, because the root word is panar, the word bull, the word panar is the root word, which means it carries with it the intent to break him up to violate him, to cause to cease, to defeat and to disannul, to shatter and to make ineffectual. They were trying to destroy him and they were trying to get him to, to, to be disannulled and to make the cross of none effect. Man, I, mm. I tell you what, that's what it means. Powerful. And, and he said that they compassed me. This is what he saw. And it's so revealing because when he says, many bulls have compassed me, it's from the Hebrew word sabah. And it means they began to revolve around him and surround him. It means to walk all around. It means to move towards and to back up and to march around. So it, it was as if what he was witnessing were these myriads of, of real, and we talked about them yesterday when we talked about the angels, like the prince of Greece, the prince of Persia, these kinds of creatures, angelic, fallen angelic creatures. They were rushing toward him on the cross and then backing up, and they would come and rush toward him, attacking him with violent words. These were the fallen ones. These are angelic creatures because that's what the word in the Hebrew, strong. Let me read it again. Many bulls, chief, wild, unchained strength began to manifest itself and surround me. And then he describes them as the strong bulls of Bashan. The word strong literally means to be an angel. Look it up, Brother Jeremy. Bloody. So people know I'm not lying to him. <laughs> that's what he's that's what David is saying to us, man. This is this is intense. See, I think it's necessary that we understand that when he showed them his hands and his feet at the end of the day, his hands and feet got that way, and what he endured, he went through to come to that place to show them the war is over, man. But it's been a battle. But I'm here. Hallelujah. Yes. I'm here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, yes. What does the word strong mean? 
what strong means. <clears throat> Angel, bull, chiefest, mighty one, stout-hearted, strong. So we have a chief, stout-hearted, mighty angel. This is what he's describing. Yes. Strong, bulls. And, and tell me what the root word means. The root word is 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 a bar. It's um. The root word means mighty. Mighty one, strong, mighty. Okay, and then go to the next root word. A bar. A bar means to soar, fly, move wings to fly. To have wings, right? To move. Mm-hmm. To, to fly. Mm-hmm. These are the angels. These are the rebellious angels. The devil and his angels. That's who came when he was on the cross. And they surrounded him. It, 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 they surrounded him. That's why when he said in verse 11, do not be far from me. He, there's this sense of, 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 of uh, you know, uh, <laughs> anxiety in a way. His humanness. His perfect humanity, trouble is near. He could sense the approach of evil. And then he says, there's no one here to help. And boom, here they are. They break into this, this incredible price that's being paid. And they're, they're mocking him. They're surrounding him. They're approaching him, flying all around him. They're wild. And they're trying to tear him to pieces. They're trying to disannul what he's doing. Don't you know that as the price was being paid, that the very substructure of all things that are created began to reverberate? He's tearing a hole. He's ripping it apart. He's paying the price of redemption. He's sealing their fate. They sensed it. They knew it. And they came. They came in an incredible way, as he describes King David here, what's happening to the Lord. Verse 13, he says, They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring, as a ravening and roaring lion. It means to open the mouth. Ravening means to pull up, to pull to pieces, to tear one apart. And then roaring. Is 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 the demonic sound, man, <laughs> of the lion? Brother, yes, brother Marty. There's something else that's that's also interesting when when David speaks about the strong bulls of Bashan uh, in Deuteronomy. It speaks about how those people came against the people of Israel. But the king of Bashan was a man by the name of Og. And the Bible says that he was one of the, he remained of the remnant of giants. Right, the fallen angels. Fallen angels. That's right. So that's, that's another. Yeah, and when you look at it there, which is, it's a good point to make. I had debated whether to go there, but, you know, you okay. can go read it. It's in it's in Deuteronomy chapter 3, I think is what you're referring to, right? Yes, yes. And Yeah, yeah. And, and there it talks about Sihon, it talks about Og. Og was, was, uh, was, was a Bashan, which was which are the hills of Mount Hermon, right? Which is where the original rebellion took place in the days of Noah. I mean, this is very in depth what's happening, but it's a good point to bring out. Yes, but here what we're talking about are the very entities that created someone like an Og or the Rephaim, right? I mean, so it's a whole other subject, but yet it's important to understand the level that we're talking about here. What actually happened here? When Jesus shows up and says, peace be unto you, maybe we start to get a little bit of an understanding of exactly what he was saying. Mm. He wasn't just showing up and going, hey, guys, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. He was declaring the war is over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, when, when, when when Paul writes about that he made an open display of them 
and he threw off principalities and powers. That's what we're talking about right here. When he hung on the cross, he made an open display. Try what they might. They surrounded him. We can only imagine what was actually taking place in the realm of the spirit. It talks about them rushing toward him. I don't understand how conflict takes place. How could I? I haven't been in that realm. I can only know what the scripture hints at. But these are words they're fighting with. These are different sorts of thoughts and manifestation of flying creatures that are unabashed, unchained, the demonic forces of the rebellious angels attempting with everything they were to tear him apart and stop him. Mm, That's right. what they were trying to do. Stop it. <laughs> right. To disannul it. Everything hung on this. Everything. Mm. It it came down to this. Oh. They tried to tear him apart. And when he says a ravening, a roaring lion, that's the sound, man. We're talking about the sound. He, he described it as dogs and lions, these, this guttural demonic roar that was coming against him. And he says, I'm poured out. And this is like water, he said, man. I'm poured out. But, praise the Lord, <laughs> remember, it didn't end there, right? <laughs> read read to us Psalm 22, verse 23 through 25, Brother Jeremy. Yes, 23 to 25. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye, the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Praise God. So the declaration is made. Jesus won the victory. And that's where David transitions in verse 23 describing. Because when he shows up in that room at the end of the day, this is who shows up. And this is what's commanded. He reminds the people who would read of these things. Because later he goes on in verse 13, 31. Read verse 31. What does he tell us in verse 31 concerning the Lord? They shall come and shall declare his righteousness. Unto a people that shall be born, that he had done this. That's what we're doing right now, brother. And that's what they've done for 2,000 years. What he did on Calvary. He said, David said, man, this is what's going to happen out of this event. Uh, a people that's yet to be born is going to declare what he's done on Calvary. Praise God. <laughs> so Lord he says God. in verse 23, he says, you that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, Amen. all ye seed of Israel. Why? Because the, the Father, he said, has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. His son was the afflicted one. The Lord was the afflicted Amen. one. And he's declaring he hasn't despised him or abhorred him. In other words, to God, though, for us, as Isaiah described in Isaiah 53, that he was marred beyond anyone we'd ever Amen. seen. We couldn't even recognize it. He was so beaten. He was so stricken. We esteemed him stricken of God. But David says, God looked on him and saw something beautiful. Hallelujah. Lord, is your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank he didn't you, abhor the affliction of his afflicted. That's what he said. Yes. yes. It was beautiful to him. It was beauty yes. from ashes, man. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. And it says that he didn't hide his face from him, verse 24. Yes. But when he cried, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, right? When he cried, he says he heard him. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> and he said it is finished. And now the Father begins to say something, David says. 
It's the Father that says, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. That's what the Father was saying. And the Son, he says, says, I will pay my vows before them that fear him. In other words, I'm going to come and present myself to you. And God is telling him, because of what you've done, I'm going to praise you in the great congregation. He's talking about the saints in heaven, the angels in heaven, everything that's in heaven. That's where I'm going to praise you, right in my presence. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. Brother Jeremy, turn over. Turn over, if you would, uh, to, to, to Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to close real quick here. But Hebrews 9. I'm here, brother. When Mary went and told him, I ascend, now we know what, what what's meant here by, by my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation, and I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Uh, Jesus came in verse uh, chapter nine, verse twenty-four. What does it say in Hebrews nine twenty-four, Jeremy? It says, "For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us." He appeared in in the presence of God for us. He paid his vow. He came in front of all those saints he led captivity captive with all those glorious, uh, obedient angels who loved the Father, loved the Son. All those angels we talked about yesterday, having won the victory, having given his, his spirit into the hand of the Lord, having risen from the dead, he comes to pay his vows and to appear for us in the presence of God. And like we talked about, they had a they had a conversation. <laughs> and and God in verse 25 says by the spirit flowing through david my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation brother jeremy turn over to chapter one and we'll, we're going to hear what god told jesus and and told the angels and 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 praised him in front of the great congregation in heaven what he said in hebrews chapter yes. one yes uh, is powerful because now we know what he said when jesus came and presented himself and when he came and showed, and remember, this is all going on on Resurrection Day. So when he shows up in that room, it's after all this has taken place, and he's able to say, the war is over. Peace be unto you. Look at the price. Hold me. We are victorious. I am victorious for you. Listen, what did he tell? What did he say to the son when he appeared to him? What did he say to the great congregation? Begin reading at verse 4 and read all the way through, if you would, to, uh, to verse uh, 13. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. Now wait. But unto the son. This is what he says to the son. When Jesus came, paying the price and having the victory over all principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the, the, he described them as the bulls of Bashan, right? I mean, when he, when he came and rose from the dead and stood before the Father in the throne, this is what he said to his son. Read it, Brother Jeremy. But unto the son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever Hallelujah. and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the, the foundation of the earth. 
though the heavens are the work of thy hands, they shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as dust a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool? Hallelujah. That's where we are. That's what he said to him. That's what happened when he went up to heaven. And when he came back, that's who he was and is and always will be what the Father said to him. When he ascended back into heaven from the Mount of Olives, uh, he sat on the right hand of the Father. And and, and now the Lord, the Father says, you sit here. I'm going to bring everything in subjection to you. I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. What Jesus went through, brother, our Lord, forever and ever and ever, God called him God. God called him God and gave him a throne. And he says, you know what? Your years, you're never going to fail, never going to fail. The price that he paid was so great, brother, that even in his resurrected state, he still bears the marks. He bears the wounds. He relinquished part of himself that we might be saved. So when he shows up in that that room that night at the end of the day, it's after going through everything we just talked about. And and, and brother, would you go back to John chapter 20? And we'll close with this. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and after he said peace be unto you can you read verse 20 through 21 yes and when he had so said he showed unto them his hands and his side then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord then said Jesus to them again peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. My Lord. So he he shows them, he declares to them the war is over. Look at the price that's been paid, which we tried so haltingly to describe for a few minutes there. But it's overwhelming what he did. All that he did when he rose from the dead and went into heaven for us and returned appearing to the road to uh, the two on the two Emmaus, appearing to Mary first of all the early in the morning and and appearing in private to Peter somewhere in, in that in those times when he returned and then now appearing to them all and collectively he then reveals his hands and his side and 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 lets them know the war is over now go just like the Lord sent me. The Lord sent me apart. There's two different words there he uses for, uh, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. There are two different words. He talked about the Father setting him apart. That's what the word sent, to set him apart for a specific mission. And then with his disciples, he now says, now I'm sending you. You go and declare this to everybody. That's what David said, right? A people that is yet to be born shall declare that the Lord has done this. And then in verse 22, it says he, when he had said this, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on all of them, everyone in the room. This is the commission of the church. This is our duty. This is what the end of the day is all about. Day began, the day went through, the day ends here, not with a conclusion, but with a new beginning. There's a new thing that has been born. Just like the father originally breathed into Adam in the garden, who produced children of the flesh, really. Here we have the second Adam breathing on a new creation and depositing within them the very ability through the preaching of the gospel that he's sending them to do now. To create a whole new class of children, not like Adam's children, but like his children. 
sons and daughters of the Most High God. Praise the Lord. I just want to close with this. Eight days later, we'll talk about it as the Lord allows, either Monday or in the coming day sometime. But I want you to to look at something. Eight days later, the Lord returns. This time he appears again. Can you read verse 26 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Something very striking and very, it could easily be missed here. But notice the difference on how John writes now. After everything we talked about at the conclusion of that first day, seven days earlier, this is the eighth day, the Lord comes again. They're all together this time. Thomas is there. And John says again, what does he say? The doors were shut, right? The doors being shut. But what he doesn't say is that they're still fearing the Jews. They're not afraid anymore, brothers. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, to God. (laughs) What is there to be afraid of now? He's not here. He's risen. He's alive. Hallelujah. He's the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And, And in our time, he's coming back soon. That was the first day, resurrection day. Praise you, the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So tremendous. What a way to end um, this week. You know, John writes that Jesus declared those same words, peace be unto you, not once, but three times. Three times he was declaring that that rage and havoc of war was over. And uh, what a way to go into to the weekend with those words, peace be unto you. We pray that you have been blessed today with the study of this word as we have sent his, sent his presence, understanding just a little more the price that was paid for our redemption. And we thank God for that. We pray that you join us again on Monday, Lord willing. Uh, we continue to pray for you as you pray for us. May God bless you. May God keep you. And keep looking up.